0: You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want uh, you to go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Praise team, thank you again for leading us to the throne of the Lord. (laughs) If I preach a bad message, they've they've still sung a good one. So... Uh, Acts chapter 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 in just a minute. But I want <clears throat> to tell you a story about from uh, the 1930s. There was a guy from uh, Louisiana State University, LSU. This is back, I guess, when they had boxing teams. Maybe they still do. And his guy, was his name was C.D. Blacklock. And he uh, they called C.D., Big Boy Blacklock, because he was six foot six, which is big now, but in in the 1930s, that would have been ginormous. And he was going up against a Mississippi State shorter, stocky fellow. And uh, and I've got some clippings of this up here just to give a little validity to the story. So in the second round of this fight, the LSU Big Boy uh, against the stocky boxer from Mississippi State, something crazy happened. Uh, You may be reading ahead, but uh, old Big Boy took a haymaker swing at the stocky Mississippi State guy, the shorter guy, and his elbow hit that guy in the head, and it swung around. And here's the report. It says, uh, Big Boy let loose a roundhouse. The Mississippi State man stepped in, and his head caught Big Boy's arm inside the elbow. With the opponent's head acting as a lever, Big Boy's arm whipped around in almost full circle, connecting with haymaker force on Big Boy's own chin. (laughs) He staggered, grabbed the rope, walked almost all the way around the ring, and then fell flat for the count. The only prize fighter who ever knocked himself out with a right to his own jaw. (laughs) Hey, con artists, take note. (laughs) You're punching yourself. The more you run from God, the more you try to deceive the world and put on your airs, you're just sticking it to yourself. And in Acts chapter 13, we've got a a great story of a deep fakes attempt to destroy an opponent only to strike himself with blindness. And so I want, to, customarily we don't do this because I read such long passages of scripture, but this one's a little shorter. So I'm going to ask y'all all to stand back up in honor of God's word. Get your calisthenics in today. Acts 13, verse 1, these are the words of God. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and by the way, these prophets were more. Forthtellers tellers than foretellers, although they did sometimes prophesy, and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, uh, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. He was with the proconsul, uh, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, The magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Erica Eshbach to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Thank you, Erica. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time of worship. And thank you for those who led us in songs of praise. For you are worthy of praise. I pray that you'll be with your vessel Went this morning as he delivers your message. Please give him the words you want him to say. And please give us ears to hear so we can comprehend it in our hearts. Dear Lord, in this unstable world, we thank you for the peace we can have in our hearts when our hope is put in you. Um, I ask for favor um, upon Piperton Baptist, Lord, so that we may be successful in extending that hope in your gospel in every mission field you put us in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Y'all can be seated. Avery Willis was a missionary and a leader of the International Mission Board, the, the very uh, organization we give to through our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And he wrote a book back in the 1970s called The Biblical Basis of Missions. It's one of the first books I've ever read uh, on missions. And of course, uh, for those of you that don't know, my family served with INB for 10 years and lived in India for the significant time of that. But he wrote an excerpt in that book that's wonderful, and I want to read it to you this morning. Step on a rocket with me and catch a glimpse of the greatness of God. We travel at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second. As we blast off, our seats afford us a clear view of Earth. One second later, the Earth is dropped away until it appears no larger than a huge balloon. In two seconds, we've shot past the moon and stolen a glance of the now famous moonshot of Earth. Eight and one half minutes later, we pass the sun. Earth appears to be a speck 93 million miles away in the darkness of space. Five hours later, we leave our solar system and can no longer distinguish Earth from myriads of other planets and stars. After four years of travel, at the speed of light, we zip past the nearest star, Alpha Centauri. For almost a 100,000 years, we travel across the Milky Way, our own galaxy. After that, we travel another 1.5 million years before we reach the great nebula, most distant of the six other galaxies and what astronomers call the local group. In the vastness of space, we must travel at least 4,500 million years at the speed of light before we begin to reach the area of the universe that can't be seen with telescopes from our planet. And that was written 50 years ago. We see twice as far now. And who knows what lies beyond that. Willis goes on to say, yet Isaiah says, God hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span. Isaiah 40, verse 12. He measures space by the width of his hand. A vision of God's greatness must increase our wonder at his mission. The heavens declare the glories of the Lord. Psalm 19, verse 1, but only a little bit of it. When we compare God's infiniteness with our limitations of time and space, we say with the psalmist in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visiteth him. Listen, friend, as followers of Christ and members of his holy church, we are strapped in to the rocket (laughs) of God's grace headed straight for heaven at light speed. And don't be shocked (laughs) if on the way he chooses to use some uh, ironic methods, some unusual methods, some unusual fuel uh, for power to our destination. Our great adventure, in this great adventure we call life, the first thing the church needs are the comrades for the journey. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, uh, Lucius, Manan, Saul, and, and John. All right? So, we've got six all together there. And I don't think Luke was with them at the time. There are passages where Luke is with them. They're called the we passages where he shifts into a plural uh, because Luke wrote the book of Acts. And and there's different sections, but I don't think he's here at this point. So I think it's just six. And I want to start with Barnabas. He's mentioned first. And we know he was instrumental in finding Saul, discipling Saul, Paul, introducing him to the church. Uh, We don't hear of any great sermons by him. There's no magnificent thing other than him selling the land. And, and of course, he was so encouraging that his buddies nicknamed him the son of encouragement, bar, meaning son of. Uh, so, you know, he's, he modeled generosity in, in every facet of his life. He recruited, he discipled, he, he modeled sacrificial giving, and he seems to have been a catalyst of that early church mission team. And though he may be second place before the end of this uh, chapter, you know, you, you start seeing Paul's name in the front and Barnabas in the back. He's still very significant. And I want to throw up a slide. I know it's very blurry. Uh, this slide, okay, you're going to do them in all separate. See this guy? This guy's dancing. About 13 or 14 years ago, a video came out called The Dancing Man. And when I was in, my wife and I were at a missions conference in Thailand or Malaysia, somewhere with a bunch of missionaries. And uh, a good buddy of mine named Kevin Greason. was, uh, was showing this video to demonstrate the power of the second man and here's this guy at this concert of course oh good so at first he's out there dancing like a maniac by himself Uh, he's probably drug-induced but still Uh, and the this this guy in the green shirt shows up and when that guy in the green shirt shows up this happens and then this happens and then this happens all right and I'm only demonstrating that to say if that guy had kept dancing by himself, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> and in the kingdom of heaven, we need comrades. We need that second person and uh, great leaders who seem to give the greatest boost from second place. And I thank God we've got a lot of second place boosters in this church. Praise God for our Piperton second place boosters. Barnabas may have fell off the pages of the New Testament like thrusters off the space shuttle right? But he does not fall off the pages of eternity. He's one of those catalytic Christian comrades. Next is Simon called Niger. In Latin, Niger just means dark complexion. He's probably from Northern Africa, uh, but he was instrumental in the founding of the church. He was one of the teachers and preachers in the church. Uh, Next is Lucius of Cyrene, who is believed to be one of the founding members of the church at Antioch. Uh, It was probably one of the refugees who fled Jerusalem under the persecution. Remember when they stoned Stephen and he died, they began to persecute the church. Uh, He probably fled. So he had probably come as far as Antioch, uh, though he was probably originally from Cyrene, North Africa as well. And then Manan, which is the Greek form for the Hebrew word comforter, uh, verse 1 says he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Remember, Herod the Tetrarch was wicked, and this guy grew up with him. He was probably like a foster brother to him. He's probably the one that gave Luke all the information he has in the gospel about Herod before, um, about Jesus, you know, that, you know. anyway, he, um, about Herod and Jesus' relationship and all those things Jesus stand before him. He may have even been there uh, in, in the house, but he had to have heard Jesus talked about. But historians say it was customary for a young prince like Herod to pick a playmate, a friend from the peasants. And Manaean uh, likely was that, was that friend that was chosen, right? He, you know, so we don't know. What we do know is that there came a tipping point in Manaean's life where he's in this royal wicked house and he has to make a choice. And my, uh, my father-in-law says in his sanctified imagination he can see uh, Herod coming in to talk to Manaean and calling him to talk and saying, hey bud, We've been best friends all our lives. And are you telling me that you're going you're gonna to abandon the royal house and our friendship to follow this Nazarene? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what he's saying. <laughs> uh, I love that comrades are better than, than simple companions. A dog can, can keep a person company, but a comrade's a true friend. Proverbs eighteen twenty four says, A man of many companions may come to ruin... But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And and he stepped, Manan stepped out in bold faith. Uh, I love the quote, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried, right? And Manan didn't. He stepped into the difficulty of it. Uh, I'm blessed to be close to my brother. I have one sibling, uh, one older brother. He's, much, he's not nearly as attractive as me or intelligent. I mean, just... No, I'm just kidding. He's actually a pastor. If you go out to Interstate 40, there's a church out there where when you get to Cookville, there's a church with a cross on Highway 40. That's where he's been ministering for years from a church plant out in Frazier. But I love him. I love my brother. But listen to this. You are my brothers and sisters. You are a, a friend sticks closer than a brother. And there are people in my own family that I may not trust with my children, but you I do. Many of you, you younger men and women are like my children. You're like Vicky and I's children. We think of you as our sons and daughters. You peers, you're like my brothers and sisters. You older men and women are like my older brother and sister. <laughs> my great-grandpa, I'm just kidding. Hey, you know what? This is why you can travel the world. You can show up in Cozumel on a cruise. You can go to Asia on a mission trip and bump into a Christian. And you're like comrades, someone you've never met before. You're closer than members of your own family because there is a camaraderie in Christ. The famous, uh, wonderful, famous uh, woman known as Carla Swindle told me, the shortest distance between two points is good friends, right? And friends of the faith are the best friends to have because they're yours for eternity. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna follow them right on into heaven. Uh, next is Saul. Uh, it'd take me a month of Sundays to describe him, but he's a murderer, a persecutor of the church, and he's about to become the leader of it. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? Man, don't you ever say you're too sinful to be a leader for Christ. All right. Uh, with all his intelligence and Jewishness and strict legalistic self-righteousness, he still says in Philippians 3, eight indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. You know, David Livingston was a, a famous pioneer missionary to Africa. And he was sent a message from a leader of a missionary society that said, hey, uh, have you found roads, safe roads to get to where you're at yet? Because if so, I want to send a team. I got a team of men that want to come and minister alongside of you. Livingston wrote back to him, if you want to send me a team of men that that need safe roads, I don't want them. I want you to send men that want to go where there are no roads. (laughs) And that's what we need in the kingdom of heaven. We need the Pauls, the pioneers who are pushing the edges well, last is John Mark, who's described as their assistant or attendant. But really, it's a deeper meaning than that. It's the Greek word, uh, huperates. It's a combo of the word hypo, meaning under, and a word that means to row. So it's literally a subordinate rower on one of those old uh, ships, right? A lower, the lower deck guy. It's the same word also that Luke uses in Luke four twenty, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant who parodies. Uh So maybe John Mark was keeping the scrolls. The scrolls, but uh, it also says in Luke one verse two, uh, it, the same word refers to ministers of the word. Right. So some Bible scholars think that John Mark may have been some kind of catechist that went along with the team. Uh, Training, instructing those new believers in the, in the basics of the faith, right? Uh, so I don't know. Maybe he was keeping scrolls. Maybe he was giving pastoral care, instructing new believers. Maybe he helped cook. What we do know is that he was a willing servant. And I really see him as a, 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 the team's utility player. Every church needs a utility player. Every team needs a utility player, a switch hitter, right? He may have been uh, a man of many talents and the master of none, but he was still vital to the mission of God. He was present and reporting for duty and whatever needed to be done. Matter of fact, you see him later bringing Paul his coat. And, I mean, it's, he's just that utility player of the church, John Mark, Barnabas, the encourager, Manan, the comforter, Paul, the pioneer, John Mark filling in all the gaps. In every good team, you have a variety of personalities. And I thank God that Piperton is not the same. All right. I'm so thankful for the diversity, even among our, our pastoral team, you know, the, the, the differences uh, in Jimmy Turner and, and Tony Castro and, and Josh and Hunter. Thank God Hunter's not like me. Right. I mean, we need someone to be scared at spiders and, uh, and it's not going to be me. Sorry, I don't know where he's sitting, but I like to make fun of him. All right. We've got Walmart stalkers and we've got welders. Well, we've got folks that collect change from laundromats and and students that are on wrestling mats. We've got mechanics and pilots, doctors, IT, EMT, OT, PhD. <laughs> Where's Steve Runner at? Right. We've got extroverts and introverts. We've got makers of Wednesday's desserts. Miss Betty. <laughs> amen. <laughs> You're getting the biggest amen in here. Right. And. We're a salad bowl assembled by God, staring out the window of his, the spaceship of life with a beautiful view of God's variety pack of creation. And we're saying, who the heck are we that you are mindful of him? And he answers back, you're my comrades in this mission where I'm building my kingdom through you. That's who you are, my comrades in Christ. Praise God for comrades. But what good's accrue without the launch codes? That's the second point. What final measures did these comrades take before liftoff? Here's their pre-launch checklist. It began with worship, fasting, prayer, and agreement. Agreement was like an umbrella over all those things. Acts 13.2 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. It concerns me that there are teachers in the church. There are people in the church that don't care about the worship time. They're not concerned with it. They just think the the preachy type, the the talking time of the service is the most important part. Well, that's not how the early church rolled. (laughs) Knowledge gained from sermons and small group Bible studies is useless if it doesn't incite our worship. Psalm 63 verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name I'll lift my hands. Which y'all can do that. You don't have to be a charismatic and run across pews and speak in tongues to raise your hands in worship. Jesus himself said in John 4.22, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Our Father, the giver of life and all good things, is searching for worshipers. Do you understand this? That when you lift your voices, uh, your hands and your heads to Christ in song, or maybe you're bowing in reverence with your hands lifted up, you know what's happening at that moment? You are becoming the literal manifestation and answer to the thing God wants. Every, you know, every Christmas, you've got that, everybody has that one relative that's like, I don't know what to get him. He's got everything. Like, what do you buy that guy? Right? What about God? What are you going to get him? He tells you what to get him. He's searching for worshipers. I love, thank God, for bath and body works. Men would be doomed. I mean, those are that stocking stuff central right there. You know, just what's on sale today? Give it, just put it in the bag. Right? God's saying, hey, I'm gonna make this easy for you. Here's what I'll tell you what I want. What I really, really want. <laughs> I want worship. If you're wondering what the Holy Spirit's launch codes are for your next destination, try worshiping. Second, fasting, a little less popular. (laughs) Matthew 6.16, Jesus says, and when you fast. So this wasn't, uh, it wasn't if, it was a when. This was part of the regular church life and not just for dietary reasons. Sometimes we're burdened with certain things deaths in the family or uh, burdens lost people or sins in our own hearts and we just lose the desire to eat. we become so focused so we fast and pray other times we're seeking answers to uh, and direction from the Lord maybe a job or uh, a career move or a relationship like this one in Acts 13 they're seeking direction from God and God and the Holy Spirit answered right you may fast from one meal you may fast for three meals you may fast for three days i had a student uh, when i served in uh when we were serving in virginia i had a student named doug Ponder. He fasted for 40 days I, he was on liquids but he he fasted for 40 days and um he's a great man of god now he did this as a, as a college student he's a church planner now and an incredible scholar for the lord and uh, but whatever it is, right, you may fast from electronics, social media. You may have something that you're, that's creeping toward addiction and you want to just put it, put, pump the brakes a little bit. But here's the thing. F- uh, fasting is meant to focus, not torture. <laughs> if you're so uh, deflated and tired that you can't even pray, you're fasting wrong. All right. The purpose of fasting is to focus on God. And if it's more about your misery, misery, that's self-masochism. That's not what God desires. He, God actually mocks that in Scripture. And so does Elijah. The, when he's calling, he says, why don't you just cut yourselves maybe? Maybe that. Listen, God's not telling you to do that. He doesn't want self-masochism. He wants you to focus on him. So if you're not focused on him in, in fasting, then it's not right. And, of course, prayer. Uh I love corporate prayer. I love when uh people gather and they're praying and y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh people will be affirming. Uh, you know, maybe when Erica was praying. I mean, I was in my heart. I'm 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 saying amen in my heart. I'm affirming with her this prayer. On Wednesday nights we gather uh, uh in prayer at 6:30 every Wednesday night and we uh we have some worship, a couple songs of worship, and then we divide up into teams. Not everybody prays. Some people pray in their heart or they're too shy, and so they just uh, remain silent, and other people in the groups pray for this list we have. But inevitably, we're in that group agreeing with one another about these prayer requests. We're going, and sometimes you even hear it, yes, amen, amen, let it be so, Lord. And so there's a there's a supernatural uh Force that comes together when God's people agree. That's what's happening here. That's how they knew who to send out. There was an agreement. We talk in our church about who a leader, a new leader for this position would be and we talk among other believers and they're like, yeah, that that would be a good person for that. There's an agreement in Christ that's wise and beautiful and powerful. And I guarantee you, by the way, I guarantee there are people in this room that pray for your prayer requests more than you do. You submit them and we put them out there. And I guarantee you there are people lifting it up more than you are. (laughs) They're they're with you. They're seeking God's direction for you more than you. (laughs) This, This team was worshiping and fasting and praying in agreement. And that's when the Holy Spirit gave the launch codes. He said, this is who you should send. Which leads to another factor in the launch codes. Hearing the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Acts 13 verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. He said. That's how they say it. That's how the New Testament says it. And that's how I say it. A lot of people don't like that. Now, you can't say the Holy Spirit spoke to you. You're going to confuse people. Then it says, when dealing with deep fakes, Elemus in verse 9 says, but, Paul, but Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, the Holy Spirit speaks. He talks to us. He's not whispering, all dogs go to heaven. Uh, You should cheat on your taxes and your girlfriend, (laughs) right? He's not saying you should look at a little more pornography. You should get drunk or drive drunk or pop pills. These are the things you should do. Satan is telling you that, not... God, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to be in line with Scripture because God's Word says, the same Saul and Paul of this story, Titus 3 verse 9, avoids foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law for they are unprofitable and worthless as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Our, our teachers in this church, let me just challenge you. You don't need me to be talking about uh, controversies of our day. Let's stick to the Word of God, the teaching of God, and the prayers to God, and the encouragement in the faith. We've got enough social media at home. We don't want to come to a small group and hear more of it. You're only propagating the thing you say you hate. God help us. God help me. (laughs) We all get stuck in that scrolling vibe, right? and we'll become warped and sinful and self-condemned. He also wrote 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality or do you not know that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The John Mark that's in this story is, is the same one who records Jesus' own words over in Mark chapter 12, verse 17. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So, yes, the Holy Spirit spoke to all these men. He sent them. He set apart Barnabas and Saul. But this is in Acts 13. What happened back in Acts 1-8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, they're only following through with God, what God had already prophesied. You understand? So yes, the Holy Spirit spoke to them in that moment, but the Holy Spirit had already spoken to them in His word. God's word backs up and affirms whatever Holy Spirit you think you're hearing. <laughs> They're hearing the Holy Spirit. it already passed through the filter of His words. The launch codes for every great Christian endeavor is asking these two questions: Do we agree with each other through worship, fasting and prayer? And does what we think the Holy Spirit's saying agree with Scripture? These should be the key questions in the decisions of your families and your church. Now, I do know that sometimes God may be telling you something that is in line with His Word that other people may not want, agree with. But if it's in line with God's Word and it's, God's prompting you to do it, then you may have to go it alone, all right? There are times where you have to step out in faith. I mean, Stephen was stoned to death. Not everybody, just Stephen. There's comrades for the journey. There's codes for the launch. What comes next? There's conflict from counterfeits. It didn't take long for Paul's missionary journey uh, to, to run into conflict. And by the way, conflict can be a great thing. It really, it really can. We've been looking at this throughout these deep fakes. Just knowing that it's attached to every great work of God, every great personal spiritual growth surge that you've had in your life, every phase that you've gone through like that, in the lives of your children, in the lives of the church. Knowing conflict follows God's good work adds value to the conflict. We need to pause in the midst of conflict and say, what There's something good. I I believe Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good. And I know I'm called according to his purpose because I've repented and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. So I don't know where this junk of this life is going, but I know it's going in a good direction. So I'm just asking you, Lord, can you give me a peek under the hood and let me see what's running this engine? Where are you headed? That should be the prayer. It allows us to be better prepared. It also helps us to distinguish faith from phonies, these, these conflicts and we've seen this pattern conflict can separate committed christianity from counterfeits acts chapter 13 verse 9 uh, 6 they came upon a certain magician a, a jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, which by the way, he was just a Roman official over that area, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, uh, opposed him. Elymas probably just meant wisdom. Uh, Seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, is what that means. Like Barnabas is son of encouragement. Uh, Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, or Joshua. Uh, Yeshua, but either way, Paul makes a, a smack at him with these words. He says, you're not, he basically, when he calls him the son of the devil, he's like, you're not the son of Jesus. You're the son of the devil. And Elemas, the word Elemas likely just means wise one, but Bar-Jesus, Elemas, magician, sorcerer, y'all y'all know the person we're talking about. It's the same person here. But Elemas' cash cow is Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus wanted, he was a seeker of wisdom. He was the proconsul. And so he's got this guy on payroll, right? Uh, Elemas, you know, he wants to glean from his wisdom and he's seeking the truth. And, uh, and Elemas doesn't like anything coming in conflict with that. And it's actually a clear earthly picture of, of what goes on in the heavenly realms that we don't see. Here's the church hearing the Holy Spirit, sending them out to reach lost people with the gospel. And here comes the devil, the enemy, of Christ trying literally it says he was seeking to turn his faith away. If y'all doubt if you're like oh no they're not trying to actually, they don't, maybe they don't know what they're doing. Yes some of them do. Some people that are coming against the church and against Christ you know sometimes they, it says in Scripture, Father forgive them for they know what not what they do. Not here. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. It says he was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That was his mission. And it's just like a spiritual warfare going on. And then the Holy Spirit steps in, blinds him through, the, through, through Paul's, uh, through the power given to Paul to speak to him. And you've got this wonderful testimony right here in the middle of scripture. And I realize the blindness um, of Elemis nudged Sergius Paulus into true faith. But I love that the passage ends with this. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let me just remind you, and it says this all throughout Scripture, the Word of God, the Word of God, as Sergius was seeking the Word of God. Read the Bible to people. Don't, again, don't just share your opinions about it. Read the actual Scripture. I know I read a lot of Scripture, and I don't apologize for it. I don't think I read enough. They sat around in the early churches, and even the Old Testament would read Scripture all day. You need to saturate your mind With Scripture, there is a Holy Spirit anointing in the Scripture. It's not an incantation. It's God's anointed power in those words. The Word of God will stand forever. Governments will come and go. Party leaders will fail, but the Word of God will not fail. Debaters will come and go. Some will win, some will lose. But God's word stands forever. Be careful that you don't put debate above God's word, His actual scriptures. You ought to plaster these everywhere. I saw a student this morning that had scriptures and all uh, tags all in her her Bible, just to remind you. You need sticky notes. You need script. You need to saturate yourself with the Word of God. Well, we've got we need comrades for the journey, codes for launch. And we know conflict will come. And we honestly, if we understood it, we'd praise God for it. But finally, what's the conclusion of the mission? This is my favorite part. Acts 13, 12. Four words. Then the proconsul believed. <laughs> Deep fakes. You know what? Deep fakes, they have a lathophobia. You know, a lathophobia, it's the fear or dislike of the truth. Some of y'all got a little of it. All right, an unwillingness to come to terms with truth or facts, ouch. (laughs) But Sergius Paulus was drawn to the truth by the Holy Spirit and the scripture charged mission of God. John eight verse 31 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It set a Roman official free 2000 years ago. It sets Shelby Raymond free and it can set you free this morning if you'll call on the name of the Lord. Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we worship you. We thank you for your word. Your word is good. It nourishes us. It's like a, a juicy steak, God. It goes down and it fills our souls, Lord. And so I pray, God, that you would let it do its work today. I pray if there's people here today that do not know you, that they would not only see the testimony of Shelby and others, the testimony of Sergius Paulus 2,000 years ago, but they would feel the Holy Spirit drawing them. If we want God's word, it's because the Holy Spirit made us want it. (laughs) And we need to pay attention to that. He's, He's speaking to us. So if you have a desire to trust Christ, that's of the Lord, that's not of the devil you need to listen to that desire and hear the Holy Spirit and obey Him and profess Him as Lord and Savior. You may be a person who's been just attending for a while and you want to get off out of the seat and get to work in some area. You don't know what that is yet, but you want to be a member of the church so you can serve the local body of believers that we call Piperton. We pray that you would be obedient to that this morning. You may want to sit in your seat and just repent of things that you've got on your heart or talk to God or seek His direction. You may want to come to the altar and pray whatever the decision is, I pray that you'll do it now. Lord, help us to obey you as the early church did. And then we'll see your power overcoming conflict, giving us direction in agreement with you in Jesus name.